today on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. Jason Drury joins me as we focus on Verez Saraband Records and their latest batch of CD Club releases. This is part one of a two-part episode, and on today's program, you're going to hear music from The Matrix by Don Davis, Knowing by Marco Beltrami, and Love Field by Jerry Goldsmith. My name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for joining me on the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast Network, which begins now. Since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. This is the flagship show. I'm Eric Woods, coming to you from Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Hello to all of our listeners at cinematicsound.net or through your favorite podcatcher. Speaking of, if you enjoy this program, then please give us a five star rating and a positive review. Reviews of this show and helps new listeners discover the program. You can also email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. We are also on Patreon. If you'd like to join us for as low as $1, please head over to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio, and there you can find a tier that you like, and you can join the community. On today's program, we're going to be listening to music from... Varez Saraban Records, and more specifically, their recent output in the CD Club series. Now, the Varez Saraban CD Club began in the late 80s, featuring mail-order CDs of great film scores not otherwise available on compact disc. At least that's what the advertisement of the club in Varez Saraban's very own soundtracks said. And I'm think soundtrack fans got their first sniff of this exclusive series of releases back in 1987, and it wasn't until 1989 did we get to see the first release in the first batch of releases, which came out between 1989 and 1992. We finally got to hear such scores as Cherry 2000, Fedora, Vibes, Red Sonia, Raggedy Man, the rejected score to Stars and Bars, the Burbs, We're No Angels, Jagged Edge, and other CDs uh, released for the very first time on compact disc. Now, after the release of Basil Polidorus's Flesh and Blood in 1992, the club disappeared, and it wasn't until October of 2001 did we get an announcement about its return when they released limited edition CDs of Heartbeeps, Mary Ward, and Project X. Since then, the limited edition CD club has been going strong, even after Robert Townsend's departure from the label in the beginning of 2019. The last three club releases Robert Townsend got to work on were Robocop 2, Dreamcatcher, and a encore release of Raggedy Man. Carrie Mansfield is now in charge of Rez's back catalog of releases. Now, back when I was on terrestrial radio, I would constantly produce shows dedicated to Verez's CD Club releases. Every time I got a new one, I would play it on the program. Not sure why I stopped. Once I got into podcasting, I have 
almost all of their releases, uh, but just other shows always happen to come up. Anyway, to remedy that, we're going to talk about and listen to music from the latest three batches of club releases on the program today, which include The Matrix by Don Davis, Knowing by Marco Beltrami, and Love Field by Jerry Goldsmith. I'll also be playing a selection from one of the scores released during the second incarnation of the Verez Saraband CD Club. It's a wonderful end title suite, and I'll have that for you, as I said, at the end of today's program, and part two of this show will be up shortly, where we will feature music from Lionheart by Jerry Goldsmith, Dante's Peak by John Frizzell with main themes by James Newton Howard, and Paycheck by John Howell. But that'll be on part two. So let's get into the program, and joining me today is the host of the Archive here on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast Network, Jason Drury. Welcome to the program, and I'm glad you can join me today. Yes, Eric, it's an absolute pleasure to join you on today's show. Oh, it's great to have you here. And and when was the first time you were made aware of the CD Club? I mean, I I missed out on the first batch of releases in the 80s and 90s. I, I wasn't a soundtrack collector back then and really had no idea what the club was until I started collecting in the mid-90s and had to acquire those albums uh, secondhand later. But I was all on board with the 2001 reincarnation of the series. So I was happy when the series came back and to have Heartbeeps as one of the new titles was just extraordinary. A John Williams score I thought I would never, ever get my hands on. So how about you, Jason? I think I missed out on the first CD club releases. I think there were just things that I never got near getting hold of or wasn't aware of at the time to a sorted ordering things off mail order. I think it was the revival when things like Die Hard came out and Predator. I really started looking at CD Club releases and looking forward to them. I remember Predator coming out and disappearing within days. Those were times when soundtracks disappeared. When a, those were days when a 3000 limited edition release disappeared in like nothing. And it was very unfair to us uh, proper film music collectors in that case, having to spend so much money to try and catch something that was going to disappear in like seconds if you're not careful. But but you know the CD the CD Club label has been one of the mainstays of Verse for a number of years, and hopefully will continue to be so. Oh, indeed. And hey, before we get started, what is your favorite club release? I mean, there are hundreds of them, so I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But does anything come to you off the top of your head? I think over the years, my favorite Verse CD Club releases included things like. Um, well, heartbeats. I love heartbeats. I'll play that regularly. The, the two sets of The Music for North and South by Bill Conte, which I must play on the show sometime. Especially the, the Piece of Resistance, the five-disc release of Spartacus, which has the distinction of having an entire album put aside by people doing interpretation of one theme, which is, which is I think, unique enough as far as the soundtrack release is concerned. And for its archival value of uh, 
preserving the complete score, even though it's in mono. Oh, those are good choices. My favorite would have to be, well, it's a it's a toss-up between two 80 scores that I thought I'd never, or I never thought would be released. Uh, Predator by Alan Silvestri and The Goonies by David Grusin. And while Predator has now been released two times over the years, uh, getting to hear that classic score for the very first time because of Varese's CD Club series uh, was a dream come true. get to hear the score from the Goonies in its original form for the very first time, that was an incredible um, release as well, and, and one that I go back constantly to. Both films and, and scores are uh, childhood favorites of mine. So with that, uh, let's jump into the program and let's open up with a banger. This is one of the great film scores of all time. And now it's finally seeing its release on CD in complete form. It's The Matrix by Don Davis, which was released in 1999. And it was part of the science fiction action film, which directed and written by the Wachowskis. It is the first installment of the Matrix film series, which starred Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano, and it depicts a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality, the Matrix, which intelligent machines have created to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. Uh, simply put, this film was a game changer and was a surprise hit of 1999, which was already an incredible uh, year for film and film music. Uh, this film just blew me away. I was seeing stuff on screen that I had never seen before. It was like watching Star Wars for the very first time. The score itself, I, I heard it for the very first time in the film since there was no soundtrack release at the time. And if I'm not mistaken, a score album wasn't planned until the film essentially blew up and Varez Saraban Records put up the cash to release one of their classic 30-minute albums in May of 1999. Without Varez Saraban Records, we wouldn't have heard a note from this score and album until years later. So anybody angry about those 30-minute albums in the 90s you shouldn't be because again without Robert Townsend and Varese Airband Records you would never have heard a note of those scores now like the film the score was 
nothing I had ever heard before. My exposure to minimalist music was limited, but I sure did hunt for some of that type of music after seeing the movie. I was looking for anything by John Adams and came across a game-changing album featuring Simon Rattle conducting pieces like Harmony Lara, which features that brilliant symphonic work, but also selections from Chairman Dance and two fanfares. The second fanfare was Short Ride in a Fast Machine, which became one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. And if you hear it, you can definitely hear where Don Davis got his influences from tapping into that style of music, that dissonant, polychordal, avant-garde, postmodern. But then at times there was beautiful moments of tonality and wonderful melodies. But this was a life-changing moment in movie music history. You know, the other influences of minimalism, uh, someone like Steve Reich, who I am not a fan of, but he was one of the founding fathers of minimalist music in the mid to late 1960s. But his stuff never really did anything for me. So when he listening to the music of John Adams, which clearly was the major influence on this score, much like what Don Davis did with this score for film music, John Adams did with minimalism. And he took that type of music to a whole new level and made it, at least for me, much more interesting and accessible with more depth and emotion. Post-minimalism is the term. Uh, Adams pretty much took what was developing in the 1960s and expanded on those ideas in the 1970s. He's not strictly a minimalist composer, but does utilize those ideas in his work. So it's taking one idea and expanding on it, which is essentially what Don Davis did with his score to The Matrix. And not only was I in awe of what I was witnessing on screen, but the sonics were telling me things I had never heard before. I truly expected to only hear club hits, you know, techno music when seeing this movie. But I had no idea what Don Davis was going to bring to the table. And, and Don Davis was relatively new to me at the time, a composer who I, I really didn't have a lot of his material in my collection in 1999. But when I heard a 90-piece orchestra and uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir over top of some of these amazing action scenes, I knew this was something special and something that went completely against my expectations. It just married the visuals absolutely perfectly and, and really enhanced everything uh, that was happening on screen. It was definitely its own character. Davis found the musical identity of the film and ran with it creating not only a brilliant film score, but brilliant music that could easily live on its own. It was stunning, game-changing, highly influential scoring that doesn't get the recognition it deserves, especially up against the Lord of the Rings scores, which came out around the same time. And how any of these scores uh, didn't get Academy Award recognition is flabbergasting. The music branch of the Academy should be ashamed of themselves for absolutely missing on all three of these scores. 
from the series, especially the first one. Now, talking about these scores as being dissonant and atonal, they are more than that. There are themes or motifs, some of them that would come to fruition in the next two pictures, namely that beautiful love theme, which was hinted at in this film, but would only get developed in Reloaded and Revolutions a few years later. This is really honestly timeless music, and while some of the more techno aspects of the score show their age a bit, that's the sound that was popular during the day. And Davis's collaboration with various artists and, and uh, other electronic artists was absolutely brilliant, although I think Michael Kamen got the jump on this sort of trend with Event Horizon a few years earlier when he collaborated with Orbital on that score, but uh, this score is completely something utterly different. This score, this film, was lightning in a bottle. The Wachowskis were looking to do something different, and they had this movie, and they were looking for just something different in the music as well, and Davis was looking to write something different in a style that he didn't have a chance to fully explore in his other works, so just all came together so perfectly with this movie. With the Wachowskis crossing genres in the film, Don Davis took the same approach and combined various genres of music into this score and crafted an absolute classic. And at the time of this recording, we have just found out that Tom Tykwer and Johnny Klimek will be scoring The Matrix 4, and so Don Davis will not be back to continue this series, and I wish Tykwer and Klimek all of the luck in the world because they have a daunting task ahead of them. I don't envy them at all, but... but Let's hear what they deliver when the film is released later on this year. They have some work ahead of them to try to match the genius that is Don Davis and his work on the Matrix trilogy, and more specifically, this soundtrack, The Matrix, released in 1999, and now, for the very first time on CD, we get to hear the complete score written by Don Davis. The Matrix was released Two other times on CD, the first time, as I made mention, was a 30-minute release in and around the time of the original film's release, and then Vera Saraband Records, a few years later, came out with a deluxe edition of the soundtrack, which wasn't complete. So this release that we're going to play for you right now comes from the complete score for the film, a classic score to a classic film. This is Don Davis composing and conducting his music from The Matrix.
Music from Don Davis's masterpiece, The Matrix, released in 1999. The score was composed, orchestrated, and conducted by Don Davis and performed by the Hollywood Studio Symphony Orchestra with a choir recorded in L.A. as well as with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the original soundtrack recording has been released once more in its complete form for the very first time on CD through Verez Cerebend Records and part of their CD Club series. Bringing you the very best music for film, TV, and video games, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Recently released by Verez was Music From Knowing, the 2009 science fiction thriller directed by Alex Poiss and starring Nicolas Cage as an MIT astrophysics professor trying to decipher a prophecy of numbers that eerily predict worldwide disasters in a race against time with the future of the entire human race at stake. Alex Poyas seemed to have a knack of bringing out the best of his composers. Graham Ravel wrote one of his best scores of his career for Poyas' first major film, The Crow, in 1994. Trevor Jones delivered The Goods on Dark City in 1998. But nowadays, Poyas seemed to have settled on Marco Beltrami as his composer of choice, with iRobot, Knowing, and a number of scores since. For Knowing, Beltrami really pushes the envelope, writing music which is at times menacing, at times exciting and energetic, and also stunningly beautiful. This is an orchestral tour de force, also utilising Beethoven's Symphony No. 7 Second Movement as an important component to the musical soundscape. After the conclusion of a dark, slightly menacing but generally impressive main titles, much of the early part of the film is given over to suspenseful, brooding mood music. The orchestra churning portentously, with brooding chords and clamouring percussive dissonance, the order of the day. The music then turns from discovery to pursuit with the cue Nick off to LA, where Batami gives a syncopated rhythm, urgent intensity as Nicolas Cage's character, John, rushes to Manhattan to stop a predestined subway crash. Loudmouth has Batami putting the orchestra through its paces with numerous stingers enormous drum hits, and all manner of choral anarchy. This is a fine example of the excitement and thrills that Batami works into this score. But the coup de grave is the film's chromatic cues. Listening to them for the first time, it feels that Beltrami is producing writing at the same scale as the finale of E.T. or from Close Encounters. Finishing with an elaborate quasi-religious flourish to the film's overall conclusion complete with the appropriate angelic choir and toiling bells. Knowing was released by Verez Saraband as a single CD at the time of the film's release. The new two-CD deluxe edition, which features double the music from that original album, features new liner notes by Daniel Schweizer, incorporating interviews with Beltrami and his co-composers Buck Saunders and Marcus Trump. And it is a credit to Verez that the co-composer of the score are rightly given their due in the cues they worked on, not just given an additional composer credit. This is a trend that all composers and labels should do in all 
future releases. So, here now is music from the 2009 science fiction thriller Knowing. The original score composed by Marco Beltrami, with additional music composed by Buck Saunders and Marcus Trump.
That was music from the 2009 science fiction thriller Knowing, with original score composed by Marco Boltrami, with additional music composed by Buck Saunders and Marcus Trump, performed by the Sydney Scoring Orchestra, conducted by Brett Kelly and Brett Weimark. This new two-CD deluxe edition, like everything else on this show, has recently been released by Perez Saraband Records. From Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. Welcome back to the program. We're listening to music from the latest batches of Varez Serband CD Club releases. Up next is music from Love Field with original score by Jerry Goldsmith. And I never thought we would see an expanded score to this one. I don't think this is one that many soundtrack fans were asking for. I'm pretty sure Goldsmith fanatics are pretty excited about this, but I never thought in a million years we'd see an expanded version of this score. Not that it's bad, but um, it's not one that you would think that they would go back into the catalog to to rescue and re-release. So it's very interesting. And I'm, I'm I mean, I'm glad they did it. It's a score that I'm not all too familiar with. I do remember the original release back in 1992. So it was interesting to explore this score and and hear what Goldsmith had to deliver for this film at that time. Uh, The film was directed by Jonathan Kaplan, who also worked on The Accused. This film stars Michelle Pfeiffer and Dennis Haysbert in an interracial romance amidst the racial strife in 1963 Texas and in the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination. Now, Denzel Washington was going to be Pfeiffer's co-star, but he dropped out at the last second. With Total Recall behind him, Jerry Goldsmith wanted to steer clear of action pictures for a while and work on some people pictures. He got that opportunity with films like The Russia House, Sleeping with the Enemy, and here with Love Field, a film where he could be lyrical again. The process of spotting the film and writing the score went rather smoothly, but in order to please the producers, one of them being Michelle Pfeiffer, numerous changes were made to the picture. Changes were also made to the music. Goldsmith was asked to come back to rewrite certain cues, but he was far too busy working on his new recording of Alex North's rejected score to 2001 for Varese Saraban Records, then continue with Lovefield. Therefore, much of Jerry Goldsmith's score was dropped completely, not because... The producers hated the score, but that they wanted it to sound more like the Tem track, which had more of a blues flavor to it, which actually matched what Goldsmith did with his unused main title music. For the rest of the score, certain sections of Goldsmith's score was either replaced with songs or uh, blues piano pieces crafted by Bill Pine. Most of Jerry Goldsmith's complete score has a rich Americana sound to it with silky string writing, bluesy tones with occasional suspense and action tracks. But most of it is rather low-key and intimate, which, again, was a very nice change of pace for Goldsmith at the time. As I said, I think more hardcore Jerry Goldsmith fans are going to get more out of this deluxe edition than most soundtrack fans. It's a relatively minor score in Jerry Goldsmith's filmography, but it was a nice change of pace for the Oscar winner when a lot of what he was scoring was huge action blockbusters. But here's one nice thing that uh, the director, Jonathan Kaplan, had to say about Jerry Goldsmith, and I quote, I've worked with some incredibly talented people, but Jerry is the only genius I've ever worked with, end quote. 
So since I don't have much experience with this film score, and in order to craft the best suite possible for you today, I asked a fellow podcaster for a little bit of help in constructing the suite. All that you're going to hear in this suite is music that wasn't featured on the original Verez Saraband Records album back in 1992. And a big thanks to Yavar Marathi of the Goldsmith Odyssey podcast for his time and assistance in putting this suite together. The album that Verez Saraband has just released has been expanded to nearly double the length for the deluxe edition, and it also includes a bonus section of blues piano tracks performed by the prestigious rock and blues pianist Bill Pine. As I made mention, some of his cues replaced some of Goldsmith's music in the finished film. And the liner notes for the album was written by Tim Grieving, which included a new interview and comments from John Kaplan and Bill Pine. Here now, music from Love Field, music composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith.
That was music from Lovefield, the new deluxe edition soundtrack from Verez Saraband Records as part of their CD Club releases, with original score composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. And with that, that's it for today's program. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can also check us out on Twitter at Sinsound Radio and on Facebook at Cinematic Sound. You can also support us and join the community at patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. And of course, wherever you're listening to the program today, we would appreciate a five-star rating and review. And of course, don't forget to check us out at cinematicsound.net. And of course, visit verezsaraband.com to check out the latest club releases from Verez Saraband Records. To end off today's program, and as we try to do, on each and every episode of the flagship show, we'll play an end credit suite. So I decided to feature music from another Verez Saraband CD Club release from the 1978 film called Fist, which is an neo-noir crime drama film, which was directed by Norman Jewison and starred Sylvester Stallone, who plays as a Cleveland warehouse worker who becomes involved in the labor union leadership of the fictional Federation of Interstate Truckers, which is where the acronym FIST comes from. And the film is loosely based on the Teamsters Union and their former president, Jimmy Hoffa. The score for FIST was released as part of Verez Saraband's CD club releases in August of 2005 and was doubled up with Bill Conti's other score to slow dancing in the big city. In Jerry McCauley's liner notes of the soundtrack album, he had this to say about the score and its creation. Norman Jewison sought to create an atmosphere of period authenticity for the film. And he wanted Bill Conti's scoring efforts on Fist to echo those sensibilities. A big orchestra producing largely period sounds. Bill Conti's view was to try and recreate the sound that was in films in Hollywood in the 1940s. So, Conti wrote an expansive, powerful, yet graceful score with a lot of energy and hired the London Symphony Orchestra to perform his score. And what we're going to play for you right now is the end credit cue, a spectacular end credit cue from the film Fist. That's it for today's program, and stay tuned for part two coming up soon of our Look at Verez Saraband's latest batch of CD Club releases. And until next time, I'm Eric Woods. Thank you very much for tuning in. And wherever you are in this world, take care and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>